Welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life, where entrepreneurs and experts share one book and the life-changing principles they applied. If you love that flash, that spark of inspiration when a great idea just leaps off the page at you, but you don't have time for all the amazing books you run across, then this podcast is designed for you. In each episode, you'll discover business books, past and present, that are changing the lives of people just like you and come away with insights you can put into action right now. So let's jump into the latest book. Welcome back, everybody. This is the One Book That Changed My Life podcast. I am so honored to have Jane Staglovich with us. She is the founder of Scale Your Genius, a speaker strategist and uh, and really coaching and consultant. So very much in kind of our our world of uh, coaching consulting that I that I'm very passionate about. And sounds Jane like you're you're very passionate about that too, and love to help people scale up. And and I love that we could talk about you know we were joking around before that we could talk about hybrid business models and things like that for a very long time. We don't have time to get into that. I would love to, but we're going to talk about the big leap uh, and just the impact that that book had. So first of all, thanks for being here. And uh, I just wanted to ask you real quick when you run across somebody in your world at an event or maybe online, uh, how do you describe what you do? Mm, great question. And thanks for having me on, Matt. So the way I explain what I do is I help people whose work is inefficient, who are out here to make a difference with their wisdom, knowledge, expertise, and who want to make a bigger difference um, with that. But in the way they're doing their business now, they're not able to reach more than one person at a time. Maybe it's done for you work, maybe it's one-on-one -on -one work. And I help them scale that in a way that works well for them, for their goals and what their vision for client results is. So it may be courses, but it may be one of the other hybrid models that, that I work with to make sure that everything is, 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 you know, really on brand and has, and can create the kind of results these creators, these um, experts have in mind for their clients. All right. And then selfish question, just for yourself, what's your favorite way of working with somebody that you feel like gets, gets them the best results? Do you find that that comes best through one-on-one, -on -one, long-term group? Is it best through like a, like a, do you run your own hybrid where it's coaching plus, like plus courses? What's your favorite mechanism for change? Yeah, my absolute favorite and the one that fits about 80% of the cases and how I deliver most, <laughs> about 80% of my work is what I call the hybrid online course. So this is where you separate out what you teach and that becomes digital modules, right? So you never want to say the same thing over and over again. So if you're right. teaching and you're saying the same thing to every client, you're wasting your time in theirs. So anything that is teaching becomes a digital step-by-step -step process. And that is almost never enough for the person on the other side to be able to properly apply that to their particular situation and, and massage that to be able to give them the results they want. So in my work, I do one-on-one -on -one support. I do unlimited one-on-one -on -one support in addition to the digital modules. As far as clients, it's either, I recommend either one-on-one -on -one or group, depending on their topic, their ability, their facilitation skills, and um, kind of their, their, their vision for what they want to do. Yeah, so that that's the sense. model I find works best for most. Yeah. I like, I've, I've heard somebody say, I don't remember it was a big time coach and they said something to that effect that like your, in, in terms of getting people results, 80% of the content should be the same 20% customization, which I, I totally agree with. And I think if you narrow down your offer in the right way, that that's totally doable. I know there's a lot of experts out there that feel like that's not possible, that everything must be custom in order to deliver people results. And I, I think we're both on the same page. That's just not the case. And if yeah. that, that's more of a, a misperception that needs to be overcome. And I think that has a lot to do with um, sometimes the ego of the person involved feeling like they have to be there every step of the way in order to deliver results. I don't know if you found that to be true. Ego and insecurity. They want Ooh. a lot of people say that when they teach live, they want that visual feedback from the other person. 
Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but you can also create enough confidence in what you're teaching to not need that visual feedback all the time. But that's where the, then the one-on-one life component comes in, where you yeah. can then answer their questions and then, and then continually upgrade your recorded content too, based, yeah, that makes on, sense. based on the feedback you're getting. Yeah, I love that approach. So yeah, we, we work with probably some of the same, very same types of people because in the, in the agency side where we produce podcasts and stuff, we typically run across people that are facing the same challenge, but they've already come to the conclusion that the podcast is part of the marketing answer to reaching more people and scaling up. You're helping them with the structural part of how their programs are delivered and how to get results, which go very, very well, nicely together. So we probably work with some of the same types of people and run into a lot of the same kinds of problems. So yeah, there's, there's a lot we could talk about on that, but we'll move on. Uh, so the big leap, give us a sense of kind of what stage you were at in your business when you first kind of came across the book. Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, about in the first year or two of starting this current business, Scale Your Genius. It was my second business. And before that, I was uh, very successful in a 15-year corporate career. Mm-hmm. Yet, I could not get the success going in the business side of things. Our fir- my first business was with a partner, so a little bit different business model. And then yeah. I went out fully on my own with Scale Your Genius. And I was just what I'll call just self-sabotaging myself. I wasn't doing the things I, w- I said I would do. I was really kind of in freeze mode. And all these people talk about fear of failure, right? That's kind of the message you hear everywhere. It's like, oh, well, we don't do these things because we're afraid of failing. And I remember listening to that being like, well, I don't really resonate with this idea. Like, sure, I might fail. Sure, this business might not take off, but that's not really why I think I'm, I'm kind of frozen in place. Hmm. And I can't remember how I came across the book. I can't remember if it was gifted to me or if, you know, it was a Google thing or whatever, but I remember starting reading it. And the whole premise is basically that we are scared of success more than we're scared of failure. So we're scared of taking the big leap mm-hmm. into a bigger version of, our, of ourselves of success in all the different areas of life. So it could be, you know, health, wealth, relationships, yeah. any of it that we're really are scared of playing bigger rather than, you know, afraid of, of, of failing. And so what we do and what I recognize is we start to self-sabotage. So there's a level of success we're used to. And if we try to go above it, our system will sabotage our, us back to neutral. And, and so that's really what I was doing. I think my vision for my business was so much bigger than any success I've ever had that my system was like taking me back to like, nope, you're coming back to baseline. <laughs> like this is right. the success you've had before. You're going to come back there. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I've heard people say the same thing about things like financial, you know, that you have a financial set point. And if you get too far above that, you start self-sabotaging for a lot of the same reasons. It's so, um, it's fascinating how much of our, identity is wrapped up in that, whatever, uh, whatever we come from or whatever level of success we've kind of settled into becomes a set point. It's, it's hard to break out of that. What I'm curious about, I want to go back to the fact that you said that failure never really resonated with you. Cause I'm sure there's people in the audience going like, just don't just gloss over that. Like I want to, I want to dig into that. Uh, cause for most people, failure directly impacts their identity, their sense of who they are. Right. And we, and we take it very personally. Maybe we have a really strong inner critic. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm more on the introverted side. So I think a lot of introverts can probably relate to that. Um, have you done any self-reflection kind of asked yourself why failure never really resonated with you? Doesn't seem to bother you. Yeah. Yeah. I have. And, and, and mainly prompted by questions from people. Right. Because I didn't, you know, I thought it was totally normal and, and everyone's like me. And then they're like, wait, <laughs> what, what do you, <laughs> I would right. And then, you know, it'd be like, you go in an interview and they're like, what's the biggest failure you've ever had or a question like that. And I'm like, 
I've never had a failure. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, right. Exactly. And so that's when I'm like, wait, 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 wait. This, this is different than, than how people think about stuff. Yeah. So one, my, my, my inner critic is, is freaking loud. So I, I don't, so it's, not <laughs> it's that. there. Okay. It's not that. Okay. It is truly, I think just the definition difference in my brain yeah. that I just don't see anything that's happened as a failure. I see it as a step towards success. It's just a mm-hmm. step in life. And so I just never, there's just nothing in my life that I could point to and said that was a failure. Even like losing a ton of money, like mm-hmm. doing all the, not getting jobs I wanted, getting laid off, getting fired, whatever, all the things that people might consider failures. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. okay, so that happened. What's next? Um, really? And so that's just, yeah. So maybe that's just not a topic of interest to my inner critic. It's got enough of I mean, other yeah, stuff say, it, it catches on to. That is odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yes, it is odd that you do have a strong inner critic and, and, but you have such a powerful frame around, uh, success. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that somewhere along in your journey or childhood or something like that, the expectation was success is this zigzaggy kind of journey. Like that's just the way it is. Quote unquote. I wasn't raised with that. I was raised with the opposite, which is success is like, stepping through an open door. And if things get tough, it might be a sign that that door is closed. And that's not the way you're supposed to quote unquote, supposed to go like that's not maybe you're not your destiny or something. And so it was almost set up to where the more obstacles, if you started running into obstacles, the first thing you did was question, am I on the right path? And now that came in my case, that was a religious background thing. Other people come to it from different perspectives, but they arrive at the same place, which is that more obstacles means you might not be doing the right thing to you is like, eh. Like that's just part of the process, which is really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was having a similar conversation with a friend a few weeks ago and what did come up in that conversation. So I, I'm from Ukraine originally. My family mm-hmm. were refugees to the United States in 91. And I think part of it is like having, and we went through the Chernobyl nuclear disaster when I was five years old and we had to move, my sister and I had to move to a different Republic to live with my grandparents. So there was a lot of stuff in my childhood that I think just set my baseline at a different level potentially yeah. for what I'm able to endure that, you know, having gone through all that kind of stuff in the first 10 years of life and then coming to a country where I didn't speak the language and, you know, all the things that happened in the first call it 15 years of life. I think just if I could handle that, mm-hmm. nothing else would, you know, the other <laughs> stuff just weren't even kind of on the radar. And so, yeah. So, so I think with that specific topic, I think, I think it's, it's, it's enduring the things in childhood mm-hmm. that then just created this it, just emotional endurance of, yeah, that, that I could see that. Yeah. Cause I did not have that. Like I was, you know, pretty sheltered born in the States, just typical, you know, Midwest. I mean, super, super poor, but that was about, <laughs> that was all the, uh, all the difficulties we had. Um, I want to go back to something you said. Uh, so once you got that kind of resolved and we, we figure out, you just, you look at success a little bit differently. And I think more accurately, honestly, like, and it's just an accurate picture of what success is really like. And you don't really beat yourself up for failures, but then you found yourself still self-sabotaging. So it wasn't that you were afraid of failure because that really didn't resonate. It's like, that's just, that's just part of the journey. Um, but you were finding yourself still self-sabotaging. Do you remember, was there anything specific um, that you remember or that you want to share that, that you realized in retrospect was self-sabotaging behavior? Yeah, yeah. And I'll say a quick thing that like this, it wasn't, it wasn't very mental. It was more nervous system, right? The way, you know, when I got it, when I read the book and I got the awareness of this, 
there still was nothing like, what am I afraid of? Nothing. What am I like? There was nothing my brain was telling me of why I was stuck. It was more of just, you know, the physical stuckness, really. It's like, and and so it it was, the way it was looking is like, I wouldn't do anything, right? I would just, I would, you know, Monday would come and I would be so excited. I'd make my little plan for the week. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to go, you know, hang out. I'm going to go grab lunch with a friend now. And now I'm going to go do something else. And well, you know, I really need to buy a new bookshelf. That seems more important, right? So I would just do all the other things. And so I literally First just all, wouldn't do the things. it's always great to buy a new bookshelf. How dare you call that procrastination? That should just be a necessity every day. I'm currently remodeling my office and my last few weeks have been a lot of furniture selection and, and, and yeah, but it's also, yeah. So, but now it was planned in the way that was, you know, that, that, that worked into the workflow of my business in a yeah. way. So it was really just freeze mode. I just was not yeah. doing the things. Basically yeah. I wasn't making offers. I wasn't talking to people. I hired a coach mm-hmm. and she was, and she was a marketing coach and, and what she was really helping me with is, is really just kind of almost pacifying me through this. Everything was like, I can't do this. This is, this is too much. I can't, you know, I, I can't, that was that, mm-hmm. that, that's what was kind of happening. It's just this, this spinning, not even spinning, this like just in place, staying in place yeah. thing. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, there is a temptation to do that. It is tough to overcome sometimes. And I think that's, uh, it's, it's weird because I don't think it matters what personality type you are, like you will go through that at some point. Like I've been through it. I'm, I'm a natural kind of introverted architecty type of person. Like I want to build systems and stuff like that. I'm a builder, but I've talked to people that have the exact opposite personality type and they have, you know, it, it's, it's almost like it's a, um, sometimes it's like a, a just a lack of clarity. Uh, some people need to see the next five steps in order to enthusiastically take the next one. I'm a little bit like that. I know other people are. Other people can just go, I have no idea. All I know is I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to put them as fast as I can. I think that's a minority of the population, though. I don't know if you feel that way, but I do think that's a minority. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I need to see. I, I need to see the steps. Yeah. So, yeah, because I did the same thing. So, so circa 2017 is when I hired somebody that had been just kind of a friend and a mentor up to that point. And I actually said, I think I'm self-sabotaging. Let's get into more of a formal uh, coaching relationship. And we only did that for a little over a year. So that ended in like 2018. I still, after two or three years, whatever it's been, I still send him an email written daily report Mm. every day, which he still reads, by the way. He's a a very good friend. Um, But I did it for the same reason because I, it wasn't, it's it's almost like that, that creeping sense that you're not doing the things that you should do. You're not even sure exactly what those things are, but you're like, I know there must be something. And I know that I must be self-sabotaging, but I couldn't figure out why. And that, that the work that we did together was interesting because it's not like it uncovered the super massive things. I don't know if it was the same experience for you. It wasn't like it was these huge light bulb moments where I realized, oh, there's some specific event in my childhood of why I was self-sabotaging. I just wasn't taking enough of the action that needed to be done to get me the results that I wanted. So I don't know what your experience, when you started to dig into the self-sabotage, it doesn't sound like there were huge, massive earth-shaking realizations. It was just steady, incremental progress, right? Exactly. It was the little things. Um, yeah. so it was a lot of nervous system stuff. And that's what I learned over the last, um, you know, kind of four to five years was that was really important for me was this freeze response was a nervous system response. So mm. I needed to just like 
create so much more safety for just safety and comfort for myself. And then I could move forward from that place. So having always been very goal oriented and kind of like, you know, type A-ish, that didn't work anymore. Like that's what pushed Mm -hmm. me into the freeze. And so I had to really shift from this hustler strong mentality to like, I'm actually going to give myself some like very conscious rest and some very conscious mm-hmm. like recovery and recharge. And then from that place, I can, I, I can do things a lot better because my nervous system gets, gets to relax. Um, you know, the one conscious That's thing that was keeping me stuck is in my, I, uh, coming from corporate where I was in finance and strategy, this pivot felt really big. And so there was a lot of kind of loss stuff that had to, I had to clear over, you know, like over, over the success I've built there almost didn't translate, oh, you know, well, yeah, like, you're like I got resetting here and your identity, I'm, I'm right? resetting down to yeah. the bottom, resetting my identity, resetting yeah. who I am, how people see me, what they think of my success. And so there was a lot of identity shift that happened at that time that, that I think was all really related to that. Too. Let's take a quick break from the conversation. Are you interested in running a podcast like this? Then check out our done for you service and grab a 15 minute podcast brainstorm call. We'll talk through your podcast idea and the business behind it, so you'll know exactly how a podcast can attract ideal clients and bring you 5 to 10x return. Schedule your call today at PursuingResults.com. And now, let's jump back into the conversation. I mentioned when we are chit-chatting before we hit record about like chasing the dream as a musician, that, that's what brought me to Denver and stuff like that. Um, it was a massive identity shift, like letting go of that part of me that had chased the dream for quite a while as a pro musician and then starting over from the bottom in business where I knew nothing and was uh, essentially a nobody going from being the best person in most rooms I walked into to then being the dumbest, least successful person in every room I walked into uh, was not a very fun thing. And, uh, and, and you mentioned the nervous system part. Yeah, I don't know that you can necessarily put uh, that your brain uh, can articulate it that way. It's like your body just feels it, mm-hmm. you know? And it, yeah. So you mentioned the refreshing part. I'm curious if there's anything that you've noticed or that you've built into your routines now uh, that give you the refreshing uh, and the refreshment and the recharging on a, on a kind of a regular basis so that you don't find yourself back in that place of freezing up. Is there anything that you've built into your routines or your monthly or quarterly routines? Yeah, I think just a lot of, um, a lot of time away from people. I also an introvert. <laughs> There's only so much people time I can handle. So I have three days in my calendar that are fully blocked off that yeah, nobody can talk to me. Um, and, and then just boundaries around the rest of the time. Right. So when I'm, when, you know, my client every, I have a 48 hour turnaround policy on any request. So if somebody asks me a question, yeah. often if, you know, if I'm in front of my computer and the question comes in, I'm going to answer it. But having these kind of time boundaries on me means I don't have to rush and coming from a corporate environment where everything is like fire drill, super fast. Yeah. Right. We were working on huge like financial transactions where there was a lot of speed and mm. you're on 24 hours a day. And so now I'm off um, all the time, except for specific blocks of time. And so I'm able to just really have a lot more control over, over my time. And then, Staying off social media, things, you know, just, just a little like <laughs> uh-huh. downtime, right? So, so today is one of my days when I talk to people. So my yeah. day is filled with calls and I have, you know, 15, 30 minute buffers between. It's so easy to go on Facebook and start scrolling. And so yeah. can I meditate? Can I go for a walk? Can I just, you know, sit here and pet my cat for 10 minutes? Like what are the things that are relaxing between, between work things that are, all, you know, kind of cup filling instead of getting frustrated at the latest thing I see on social media? Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit the, uh, 
I'm very similar in a lot of the boundaries I've set up, which is hilarious. I have my, I have my like Mondays and a lot of Thursdays end up being free and stuff. Um, the, uh, the buffers between calls, I don't do that. Like I want to, uh, I want to ride the wave of energy and I mm. want to do call, 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 and then nothing for like the rest of the day. <laughs> if I have buffers, it's like you said, it's so tempting just to hop on Facebook or something. And then you realize, oh, wait, I didn't actually use that time to refresh myself at all. Um, and I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that do that at a bigger scale too. You know, we build in our weekends and then we end up, you know, like you, you, you never truly unplug, you never think strategically about the business. And so you just kind of stay busy and you never actually refresh. Uh, one of the challenges that my mentor gave me several years ago was to start tracking the things that actually contributed to refreshing and recharging me. Mm -hmm. And so I did like, that's actually part of my daily report is to look for, you know, was there something today that I did that actually refreshed and recharged. And I started to notice the things like that, like you mentioned with being in between calls, I would step back and do some breathing or, or do a meditation or whatever, instead of hopping on social media, because yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't realize the, the follow on effects until you like it affects your nervous system and you realize, Oh, I'm freezing again. Like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not building in the sorts of rituals that, that prevent that. So, yeah, so we're very similar in the boundaries. I did a whole episode on Microfamous about like the nine boundaries that every introvert should set in their business. And it sounds like you have that mastered, which is hilarious. So I love that. Uh, was there anything before we uh, start to wrap up? I want to tell people what you're excited about right now, where to connect and all that. Was there anything else that jumped out about the big leap and, and any of the changes that you made as a result of reading the book? Mm, I, I, you know, I think that awareness is, has been really the biggest piece and really like, I love the analogy and the visual of a thermostat and really watching the thermostat of my life and saying, what am I allowing myself to go above, mm -hmm. you know, about the space, even like remodeling my office and like, can I splurge for this more expensive fancier, you know, I'm, I'm redoing like my camera, my tech setup and stuff. Like, can I splurge for the more expensive one? <laughs> and, and, and there's a part of me that was trying to kind of hold me back. I'm like, no, in my vision, this is the camera I have, and this is the camera I'm going to get, right? So then it's mm -hmm. kind of watching where even just the little day-to-day -day things where, where yeah. you are not allowing yourself to, to, you know, buying a camera or hiring an awesome coach, right? Like whatever, whatever it is for you, where you're not allowing yourself to take the big step. So watching, mm -hmm. watching my decision-making has really been powerful. Yeah, that's really good. I love that. So just bringing more awareness to your decision-making and watching for the areas where you are not allowing yourself to go higher than your set point. Then your current present self, right? Like yeah. do I like the camera, yeah. you know, the camera I think is a good example. Like my present self doesn't need the fancier camera, but my tomorrow self wants it. And so why not? <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna get it. I think you tomorrow. Should. I was yeah, hoping exactly. to have it right now. All right. And then uh, so what what are you excited about right now in terms of what you're doing with your business? And then how do people get connected up with you? Yeah, you know, my, my my business model hasn't really changed in four years. And I love as somebody who's got like a squirrel brain who always wants things to change. I love being grounded in this one business model of helping people create their online programs, courses, membership sites, whatever they want in a way that is really customizable to their needs and feels really good for them. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's just it, it, it's going to continue until who knows. <laughs> until it doesn't, but at until, least, it doesn't, exactly. until it doesn't, but there's definitely, yeah, there's no, there's definitely no end in sight yeah. on this yeah, business I'm model. The same way. Yeah. 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 We're both very fortunate. Like I, my business model hasn't changed in five years either. Um, and I do have that. I do have that creative urge. I try to take that creative urge out in the content that I create rather than the structure of the business. And that's something that I think a lot of coaches and consultants could benefit from is finding something that is long lasting enough to where you can throw yourself into and it doesn't change that much for the audience. 
but you yourself have has an outlet for the creativity somewhere off over here where you can get that scratch the creative itch. Cause yeah, we all, a lot of coaches and consultants and experts have that. And unfortunately when it manifests in your business, you end up being the person that's always pivoting. And then you're just the, always the person who's excited about the latest pivot, which is never a good thing. Yeah. I love how you distinguish that. Yeah. Like be creative in your marketing, like find a model that works for the business, for the delivery, and then be creative in your marketing. Cause I think efficiency mm-hmm. and scalability is so important in the core of your business model that it's not really where you want to play too much because you'll be, you know, I find I was having this conversation. It's like people are always coming like coming up with new programs or something like that because same yeah. thing, they want to chase the next thing. Well, they're always just staying at the bottom instead of building something to somewhere really great. And so they're unable, like they just keep spiraling at, at, at the bottom here with the new program, you know, 10K, another new program, another 10K, but they're never, yeah. they're never enabling themselves to get there. And yeah, have fun with marketing, do podcasts, videos, whatever, like mm-hmm. have fun there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, uh, first of all, how what's the best way for people to get connected up with you? Yeah, my website, scalesgenius.com. Um, on the front page, there's always like our latest freebie or if we have a training or something that's always on the front page. Um, on the HRS page, there's there's information on how to book a call. Mm-hmm. If people like the Facebook group experience, we have a group called the Genius Tribe and they can find it just by going to thegeniustribe.com or looking for the Genius Tribe Facebook group. So Perfect. I love it. Either one of those. So final question. This is a selfish question. So I have, I have clients and friends that are in that space where they are natural teachers. So they're naturally curious. They're always coming up with their own new intellectual property anyway, just by the natural process of being who they are. And so, like you said, their natural compulsion is great. Create a new course, create a new course. And you're always starting at the bottom. So what I've started to encourage them to do, and I'm curious what you think of this, if this is something that you recommend or would recommend to your clients, is I, I, I try to get them to think about, like, how can you channel that creative energy into something where you can just keep building up the same program? Like, how can you have a signature program that, that allows the room for you to create that new course that you want to create, but rather than marketing it separately, it becomes a new reason for them to buy your signature thing, whatever that is, a monthly membership or something. But in other words, create something big enough for, for you to scratch your creative itch that you're going to do anyway. Like if you're going to create that course anyway, throw it into the one program and just make that one program as good as you can. Uh, is there any pitfalls to doing this? Is there anything that people need to keep in mind if they decide to take that approach of building like one signature program that expands over time? Yeah, there is, you know, from the client perspective that could feel overwhelming. So, so, so if something is that big, they need to be extremely cautious in creating a client journey that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, not saying it's not possible. It's just, you know, really understanding what the client experience coming into something really big is. I find most programs are overstuffed and, and yeah. that's one of the reasons is people are using it as a creative outlet. Another reason is back to the insecurity. Let me give them more stuff because maybe that yes. has more value. So yeah. what I have is a library of where I put all that stuff. And then People, I can either give clients access to this library and it's very separated from my program. So this is the step-by-step program on one side and then they can go into the library and like pull stuff from there. Mm -hmm. This is also a, I find that's a better place for free value. So if you would like, if you want to do Facebook lives or podcasts or things like that, like that's another way to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I would just caution against making core programs being, being overstuffed. Yeah. Yeah, I would tend to agree, especially if it's coming from a place of insecurity. I think when it comes from a place of trying to get people better results, 
and you're constantly pushing yourself to come up with the, the next thing that's going to get them better results, I think it can actually end up improving the program over time. And you might find that you replace some of the old core components with new core components. Like it's, re, you know, you're kind yeah. of like rebuilding a car as it's still driving, you know, replacing certain engine parts. Um, yeah, but, but I've also encountered people where they're, they're stuffing things into their program out of insecurity that I think that's when it really doesn't work, um, mm-hmm. because that is just coming from the wrong place and they're stuffing the wrong things in. They're not stuffing things in because it's part of what they think is best for the client. It's best for assuaging their own insecurity. So that makes it's sense for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, yeah. So I think the purpose of that is, is, is the gauge. Yeah. Well, I love it. And hopefully people get a, a good sense of kind of your, your perspective and what it would be like to work with you. Cause I think those conversations and your perspective on it and, and the fact that you're, you're someone that can not just bounce those ideas off or uh, because you have your own point of view on things, but for the audience that's listening that you, you might have, have that same uh, challenge, right? Where you're trying to figure out what is my signature program? Am I going to be the person that always releases new courses or am I going to be the person that continually builds up and refines one signature program? Cause obviously from a business perspective, that just, works better. It makes everything easier. I think there, there's a, there's such a need out there for what you do. And I hope people get connected up with you and, and, and learn more about what you do. Cause it's, those conversations are invaluable. I mean, I, I have, I get to touch a little bit on it just with the conversations that I have with clients behind the scenes, but we're bouncing off ideas as, as colleagues and peers. I'm not the coach. I'm not the consultant. You are. So I hope people get connected up with you and, uh, and so they should check it out. So the, give the website one more time and then yeah. we'll, uh, we'll call it good scaledgenius.com scaledgenius.com i love it jane thank you so much i really enjoyed the conversation thank you matt yeah i did too and thank you for this for this platform i love talking about this topic so much because i think it could just help so many people and sometimes we don't know what we don't know and Mm -hmm. you know very true Hopefully this sparked something awesome for somebody. I, I think it will. Yeah, because it's, I mean, not just, not just with the big leap, but also just with the core stuff. I mean, this is, this is the future. This is where coaching consulting expertise is headed. I think are these hybrid models. You and I both agree on that. Uh, and how they're executed determines how they sell and how they sell determines how much you enjoy your life. If you're the person creating them, like if they don't sell the way you want them to, you run smack dab into frustration, self-judgment, self-criticism. Uh, and it might just be something that's structural and has nothing to do with you. It might just exactly. be something easy that's that's relatively easy to fix and the problem isn't you to begin with. I see a lot of a lot of self-judgment, a lot of self-criticism, a lot of frustration in in our world that I would like to see prevented. So that that's where I see a huge, a huge value in people getting connected up with connected up with you. Thank you. I, I totally agree. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating and reviewing the show. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other entrepreneurs and experts. Every time you share the show, you're putting life-changing ideas into someone's life. Now, to get the micro-famous field report that helps you turn your expertise into a lifestyle business without spending all day on social media, go to microfamous.substack.com and enter your email to access it for free. That's where you get all my podcast episodes, articles, sketches, videos, everything goes into the microfamous field report. So go to Substack, sign up for that today so you get that, and stay tuned for the next episode of One Book That Changed My Life. We'll see you there.